The following audio is from Midtown Fellowship in Columbia, South Carolina. If you're interested in becoming a part of our extended family, visit midtowncolumbia.com partner. And so uh, when I met him, I was like, I want to know more about his brother's heart. I want to get to know him. I want to be able to be uh, a friend, honestly. Uh, and in those times, I, I feel like we connected pretty, uh, pretty quickly. Uh, since then, uh, I've been able to, I personally have gone, uh, listened to some of his sermons uh, online. I've been really encouraged and also just encouraged by his heart and his commitment to serve uh, the people of God and to serve uh, the, the community and the neighborhood that he uh, is in as well. Can y'all do me a favor? Can y'all uh, give a two-notch welcome to Will Brodus as he comes up? Real quick. Amen. Amen. Let me, uh, let me pray. Let me pray for this brother real quick, and then I'm just going to pass the mic to him, and we're going to be blessed by the preaching of God's word. Uh, Father, grateful for Will. Uh, Lord, grateful for his willingness to come uh, and, and just communicate and preach your word to us, God. As, uh, as was already prayed, would you give him confidence? Would you give him boldness, Lord? Would you give him clarity, uh, ongoing clarity into what you have for him to say uh, to us, God? Would you prevent any distractions from, from coming about? Would you help us uh, to, to wrestle with your word? Would your spirit do work in us? Would you challenge us? Would you encourage us? Would you grow us in our faith? Would you bring us to repentance, God? Would you uplift us? God, would you transform us through the preaching of your word, through our brother Will. Uh, it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Amen. Hey, what's up, everybody doing? Y'all doing all right? Y'all can talk back to me. What's up? How you doing? All right. Good, good. Um, man, I'm, I'm so thankful for y'all. I want y'all to know that, that, that y'all's church is a gift. That this is unique. This is not common. This is, this is to, to, to have a church that is, that is about the gospel, that's robust in this gospel doctrine, that is diverse, that is intending to reach a community that others would just drive by. That is a unique thing. And you need to, you need to thank God for that. That is, that is, that is something that's a gift of the Lord to you, and, and your pastor is a gift to you as well. So I'm just, I'm thankful to be here. I mean, I'm thankful I know this brother. So when I... I I, I knew about the community. I, I, I grew up near the community where we, where we uh, planted. Uh, but, you know, when you're a child, you get sheltered for some stuff. And um, I remember when it got real. We, we, one of the things we're trying to do is we, we're trying to live there. As many people as, as can, we want to live in the community. And I, and I had convinced some people to move. And, and the, the day uh, we moved uh, this, this one of our, our team members in, it seemed like a pretty normal day. And, and so I remember we moved all her stuff in. Actually, I hit a mailbox that day of her neighbor. I was like, hello, I'm her pastor, my bad. But anyway, like, so, you know, I put the, you know, I put the, she actually told me the other day, she was like, she was still mad at you about that. I was like, well, oh, well what can you do? But uh, so we, we moved all the stuff in, and, um, and I think we were putting the blinds or something. And uh, all of a sudden, I look in, uh, in the, her front yard and in the ditch, there is somebody that is dead. Uh, somebody is, is dead in the ditch. And, uh, and so I went outside, and I'm like, what in the world is going on? So I'm talking to the neighbors, and I'm like, what happened? Can anybody tell me what happened? I mean, I got all kinds of answers. Like, people, I don't know what was going on. Someone's like, well, he got shot, he OD'd, da-da-da, this, that, and the other. But I could tell you, man, I felt like this intense guilt. I'm like, I just, I just told this girl to move here. Somebody died in her front yard. Like, like what in the world I'm going to do? I mean, I, I never seen, like, the, the detectives came out, the yellow tape, the whole nine yards. And, and I was thinking to myself, I'm like, who in the world can I talk to about this that, that would have some sort of semblance of understanding of what's going on? I remember uh, another day I was, I was actually driving to the church. We mean in the afternoon, so it was about 2, 2 p.m. And, and I heard, you know, pop, pop, pop. And I thought, man, why people 
blowing fireworks today. You know, it's the middle of the day. What's going on? You know what I'm saying? And then I, all of the car, the car just sped past me, and I and I smelled the the gun residue. I was like, uh oh. You know, so I, I turned around and drove by, and there was two cars that had just bullet holes all in the cars. Now, now by God's grace, the folks were in their house, and so I'm talking to them. I, I live by I live three uh, streets over. So I thought, I need to go home, check on my family, make sure they're okay. And so I drive, and, and I see these two guys just sitting on the trunk of a car. And I'm thinking, man, they, did they not hear that? Maybe they need to go inside, you know? So I drive up, and I'm just like, hey, what's up, y'all? Um, you hear that? Like, oh, the gunshots? Yeah, we heard that. Are you just, y'all just going to check? Okay, cool, cool. I'm, I'm just going go home now, you know what I'm saying? But, like, so, I, you know, I'm talking to my church plants and coaches, and, man, I love these guys. And they just like, look, man, Will, man, we love you. We'll know what to tell you, though. And I'm like, is anybody trying to plant a church in communities like this? And they was like, there's this one guy. Uh, <laughs> and I was like, well, I need to meet this one guy because I'm like, what the world's going on? Like, can I get some, can I get, can somebody share the burden? Can I get some coaching? Like, what do you do in these situations? So I'm just, I'm just thankful uh, that I met this brother so we could talk about certain things that happen. And you're like, uh, does that happen where you, you know, you seeing some craziness? Yeah, I seen that crazy. Okay, cool. Cool, I ain't crazy. Um, and so with that being said, one of the things I want to, to kind of talk to you about, I want, I want everyone to, to leave encouraged today to, to understand and value and savor the gospel more. And in turn, that that would stir up your affections to live for Jesus. Now, something that's interesting is, is I, so I went to church when I was small, but, but around 7, 8, we stopped going to church. So the only thing I remember about church was, you know, my mama telling me to be quiet and to eat the crackers that she gave me. And I ain't remember nothing, I ain't remember much of, nothing about that. But, but I, I, when, I, when, I, when, I, when I got saved, when the Lord called me, it was, a, it was an interesting circumstance. I actually wasn't in a church. I was in my bedroom, and I don't even really remember what I was doing, but I had this overwhelming feeling that God loved me. And it just really captured my heart. And so I thought, man, I need to get a Bible. So I got a hold of a, of a pocket New Testament, and I began to read it until 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning for weeks, just, just devouring the scriptures. And so all, I, I was unfamiliar with Christian culture. I just had this feeling that, that God was calling me, and then I just had the scriptures. And so I, I just took the scriptures, and I'm like, well, okay, well, I guess I'm going I'm to try to live by this. And, and one of the things that, that I noticed is as I actually started meeting other, other Christians, I realized that, that the, there, there's such a serious ethos of the scriptures. There's such, a, there's such a seriousness about life. There's a seriousness about mission. I mean, you got apostles standing up in front of councils, and they're like, you can't say nothing. And they said, I don't care what you're going to say. I got to say what God told me to say. And so I thought, man, there's such a seriousness that I would meet Christians in the Christian culture, and I wouldn't see that same level of seriousness. There would be folks that I would meet, and they'd be like, I'm a Christian. I'm like, how did I not know? Like, I, I was in high school, and I'm like, I didn't know, like, we didn't ever talk about that. Like, and and what, I, what I discovered is, is sometimes the, the ethos and, and what matters in the Christian community does not necessarily match the ethos and what matters in the scriptures. And so we have to be able to discern what matters here, what is truly important. And I, and I think one of the issues is this. We live in a time in which not just the church, but people in general spend a lot of time and energy on things that don't matter. What I mean is they, they, they don't have this, this eternal perspective. 
Like when, when you read the letters that, that Paul's writing and he's talking about like the, 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 the day that my works will be vindicated as, as good or not is actually the day that I stand before Jesus. And it, that day is what, is what motivates me. I'm not really overly concerned about that, what, what happens in, in the interim, but, but there's a day when, when my works will be weighed. And, 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 and I don't know whether I spent my time or not, so I have to live in view of that day of the return of Jesus. And so when he's, when he's talking to Timothy, that first, in, in, in verse 11, he says, but as for you, what, the things that he said beforehand was, was people are, are spending their time, they're, 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 they're working for, for material gain. They, they want the, the social appearances. They want folks to, to look at them and think that they have a, a certain level of clout, a certain level of income. They, 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 have, they, have, they have created this, this life that is all about getting more. All, I just want to get more, and then, then folks will, will think of me. But I think here's, here's the, the careful thing we've got to be about the, the church is sometimes we can, we can baptize some stuff and make it sound Christian. You know, we, we, we can just say, well, you know, we, we just, that, that, Jesus wants us to do that too. Let, let's just get more and more stuff, and let's accumulate more and more status, and let's, let's, just, let's just be about that. But, but it's for Jesus. It's for his glory. But sometimes we, we, we really need to do some self-examination and ask ourselves, uh, are, is our ethos, is, is the things that we care about, is that coming from the scripture? Or have I been so influenced by the culture around me that that actually is what runs my life? So, so just because, now here it is, here it is. Just because the Christian culture approves of some things does not mean it's worthwhile. You just need to know that. Like, like just because you can get a high five and a slap on the back and good job, you, like, it, that does not mean it's worthwhile. And you can tell something is wrong because of the things that get neglected. So, like, you know, what, what was confusing to me is, like, when I, as, as a, I, I got saved when I was 14, I was a freshman in high school, and, and the Christians that I met, like, there was no concern for the loss. But man, they have some good parties at the youth group. You know what I'm saying? Like, we're going to have some good fun. But I'm like, do you see all the folks over there? They don't know Jesus. And when I'm reading the scripture, it seems like they, sh- they should. And, and then, then there, was, there was this lack of concern for holiness. You know, grace will cover it. Great, well, grace will cover it. You know what I'm saying? And then I'm like, but, but when I read the scriptures, it seems like there's got to be like the, some level of fight. And then another thing that could, when I was reading the scripture, I was like, man, they seem to pray a lot. And, and prayer seemed like a pregame. You know what I'm saying? You, got, you say, you know, Jesus, like, you can do what you got to do. And so, like, we have to be discerning because the temptation in every context is that the values of the context will become the values of the church, and they just get baptized with Christian language. And so we have to be students of the scriptures to know what is it, how should we orient our lives. And that is ultimately what Paul is saying to Timothy. He was in a culture, I think, that's that's much like our own. He was in Ephesus. They they were concerned with getting uh, more wealth. They were concerned with prestige. The, the same things that uh, are concerning folks today. And he's saying, listen, just because you're in this culture doesn't mean you don't have to fight. Doesn't mean you you can kind of turn off and just just go with the flow. You actually have to pay attention to yourself. And what he's saying is, the way he characterizes the Christian life is that it's a fight. That it's a fight. So he says, but, but as for you, 
O man of God. Flee these things. So, don't, so don't, don't be worried about prestige. Don't be worried about getting all this money. Don't be worried about how other people view you. But, but as for you, flee these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of eternal life. So verse 11 is, is actually the, the, the description of the, of the goal of what you're fighting for. Like what, if I'm fighting in this life, what does it look like? And verse 11 is describing what it looks like. And so we're just going to kind of take it piece by piece. Can we do that? Can we just walk through the script? I just want to walk through the text. I just want to say what it say. All right, so, so uh, uh, I, ain't trying to be, I ain't trying to be clever, okay? It say, say what it say. Uh, so let's look at verse 11. He says, pursue righteousness and godliness another another way of saying that is is pursue holiness pursue conformity to christ now the question is is you know how do we pursue this how do we pursue this this conformity to christ that 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 my character would be changed now now most likely you know what I'm going to say, but I'm going to say it anyway. Uh, we, have, we have what we call the means of grace. This, it's the, these means through which we, we put ourselves before Jesus and allow him to change us. And it's getting in that word. It's getting on your knees. It's repentance. It's gathering with the church. It's the things that you know to do, but sometimes they get put on the back burner because the holiness isn't really the top priority. And so we, we just need to, 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 to uh, like look at these means of grace. I, you need to jump in that word. You need to, you need to eat it as if it is, it, it is providing life for you. You know, when I, when I, the thing about, about, about prayer is I think there's a lot of things uh, in the Christian life that, that you can get like a, like a pat on the back for, like somebody will say, good job. But prayer is one of those things you, you do in secret. You know what I'm saying? Like, like, don't know, like, I don't know your prayer life. You don't know mine. You're not with me when I'm praying. And so those, I think those are one of the things that can just kind of slide a little bit. But I think we gotta, we got to be serious about this holiness thing. And, and one of the ways we're serious about this holiness is that we cut aside time to get on our face before the Lord. To worship and sing and think on him, on the scriptures, and just pour out our hearts before him. Now, I know that you know this, but here's the deal. This, where the rubber meets the road of holiness is actually in the middle of life, stress, and conflict. That, that's, that's where it will. So, so we can do those. The, like that's, that, that, that does form us. But actually, a lot of times, the where we're formed in holiness the most is when life is pressing on you and when life is pressing on you that's when what's in there comes out and that's when you have the opportunity to actually practice repentance and self-control that's where that's where it's actually formed in you and so then we actually need to begin to see life as a practice and a test and an exercise in holiness so that when that co-worker is annoying the mess out of you that right there that is the battleground for holiness 
For those of you who have kids, when your kid asks you for the same thing the 17,000 times, that right there is the playground and, and the, the, the battlefield of holiness. And what it does is it gives purpose to parts of your life that you think God doesn't care about, but he does because he cares about your formation. And that formation happens in the nitty gritty frustration parts of life where, where you, you, ain't, you ain't prepped for that. You know, you don't got the Bible verse in your hand. Like it's got to be in your heart because when it happens, you got to be ready. But that so, so he's encouraging him like, like, like Timothy, Timothy, like you're going to get in situations. Even in the book, he's talking about his false teachers. There's people in the church tripping like that's the avenue. That's 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 where the holiness is. Right there. And so I want you all to, to kind of do a survey of your life. Like, where, where are those pressure points? Where are those areas where when you get in and, and you, you show the flesh a little bit? <laughs> you know you're tripping. Like, like, where, like you, you kind of know where that is. You know the, so maybe the people that are, are the situation or, or the place. You know where that is. And then I want you to reframe it not just as something that is annoying, but you reframe it and say, actually, this right here, this is my battleground for holiness. This is the, 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 the method through which the Lord is going to sift out the sin in me and produce purity in me. It's right there. So he says, instead of being worried about prestige or what others think about you, I want you to be worried about this. I want you to pursue righteousness and godliness. It says, man, faith, faith and love. The, the Christian life is a call to trust in the Lord's promises. It's a call to trust in the Lord's promises. But the reality is that sin in the world calls, calls us to doubt. You know, we can reflect on scriptures that talk about his goodness and his plan and his sovereignty and how he's working all things out for our good. But then again, when you get in the, the rubber meets the road of life, you get in that mess and, and you're like, I don't know. Now, you probably wouldn't say that. You wouldn't say that. But in your mind, you're like, ah, does he got me? I don't know if he got me. Here's a, here's a beautiful thing about God's promises is that, that they're actually all rooted in the gospel. You know, uh, in 2 Corinthians, it, it says that all God's promises find their yes and amen in Jesus Christ. What that means is this. Uh, you and me actually aren't really worthy of those good promises. It's Jesus is the one who was worthy of those good promises because he fulfilled the law. He pleased God entirely. But the generosity of Jesus has shown that, that actually we get his credit. So just as, as he is deserving of all those promises because of his perfect life, his obedience unto death, and his resurrection, he says, actually, I am deserving of all those good promises. But because I like you and because I have grafted you into me, you get them too. So, so here's the deal. The, the promises of God to bless you are as sure as Jesus' death and his resurrection. It can't get more sure than that. It is not dependent on the good or bad day that you had. It's dependent on what Jesus has done. And that is the call for, for having faith in God that the things that have been done in Jesus, through Jesus, his death and his resurrection, the blessings that he gets because of his perfect life, you get them. And here's the beautiful thing, man. Trusting in the gospel produces love. 
I, you can't make yourself love something. Like if you, just think about that. You love that. Okay. You know, like, you, know like you, can't, you can't just make yourself do that. But as I reflect on the love of God revealed in the gospel, as I meditate on it, as I, as I chew on it and think about it, man, my, my faith goes up. My, 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 my affection for God is stirred. So part of the fight is remembering God's promises in the gospel that allow my faith and my love to get stirred up. He goes on to say, man, steadfastness and gentleness. You got to be a little patient. You got to be a little patient. I, I, the, the life in Jesus is a, it's a slow grind. It's a slow grind of growth. You know, it's not a microwave. It's a crock pot. You know what I'm saying? You got to marinate a little bit. You know, God has to, has, to, has to let that stuff marinate in you and, and sift it out. But, but the, the, the problem is we, we live in a culture that wants everything so fast. Like, I want it now. I want it now. But the reality is that, that he, when he's talking to Timothy, Paul is saying, listen, you, I want you to fight this good fight. But you're going to have to be patient. God's work in us is usually not instantaneous. Usually takes a little time. And so that's why we have to be steadfast in, in our pursuit of the means of grace, steadfast in our pursuit of remembering and reflecting on the gospel because it's God who causes the growth. And I think one of the, one of the strongest temptations, particularly for those of you who would think, man, I'm doing pretty good like in my spiritual life, I think the greatest temptation is to not be gentle. Because you would see somebody else, well, can't they just, just get it together? Why, why are they tripping? Read the Bible. You know what I mean? Like, it, it's, it's this, it's, I see it so much. And that actually comes from me not realizing that my walk with the Lord took some time to get there. And so when I realized that, it produces a level of gentleness as I talk to others. Now he says, look, Timothy, this is a fight. Look, y'all, this is a fight. He even says, take, take hold of eternal life. Take hold of it. I mean, the, the image that comes on my head is if, if you could just, like, take hold of, of the horns of a bull and you just try to wrestle that thing down. But I don't know if you've ever seen one of them clowns trying to run from a bull. That don't look easy to me. So you, it's a little, some sweat's going to happen. It's going to be hard. But he says, take hold of that eternal life. It will feel sometimes as if life is throwing you around, as if you've lost your footing. But ultimately, you, you are clinging to eternal life. You're clinging to the Lord's promises. You're, you're clinging to his character revealed in scripture, and you're, and you're clinging to Jesus. Take hold of eternal life. Now, if, if you were like me, there are going to be times when you feel a little discouraged about that. When you feel like, I don't, I don't know if I'm measuring up. I don't know if this fight's going so well. Do you know what I did yesterday? You know, you, you feel a little discouraged. And so what's, what's the medicine for that discouragement? Because here's the deal. If you allow yourself to be overtaken by discouragement in your fight for holiness, you won't fight anymore. So what's the medicine? Let's look at verse 12 again. It says, fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession 
in the presence of many witnesses. One of the most beautiful little clauses in that verse, it says, you were called. You were called. Now, I don't know how much of y'all like English class, but uh, that's called, uh, that's, that's in the passive tense. What that means is you didn't do it. You, you were called, right? Not that you didn't call yourself. You didn't make yourself to be called. You, you were called. And that's some beautiful language right there. And, and, and here's the, the, the idea is this, is that God started this fight in you. You didn't just wake up one day and think, ah, I'm going to just do it. I'm going to just fight for holiness. I'm just going to go just think and believe contrary to, to what the culture wants me to do. No, man. God called you. The beauty, the beauty of this gospel is, is he called you before you were born. You know, Jesus looks at his disciples and didn't say, look, man, you, you ain't choose me. I chose you. We go to Ephesians that talks about uh, before the foundations of the world, before everything, before anything started, before you had your first thought, before your mommy and your daddy had their first thought. Like, like Jesus had made a decision about you to call you out of darkness. And then there came a day when he, he woke you up. Now, salvation sometimes is like this light bulb. You know what I'm saying? It's like, oh, snap. Now, here's, I don't know, like, Somebody got to flip the light bulb on, you know what I'm saying? Like, light bulbs just don't magically come home. And so God actually had to, well, what the theological term for this is called effectual calling. What this means is that there came a day where the plan that God had for you before the foundations of the world, he made it happen in an instant. He woke you up out of death. And he says, he says, Timothy, you need to remember your confession. He gave you the strength to confess that Jesus is Lord. In 1 Corinthians, it says that any, if anybody says Jesus is Lord, that means the, the Spirit's in them. That's evidence of his calling, not evidence of your goodness. And then he gave you the community of the church. He said, you made that confession in front of many witnesses. He's given him all of these things to remember to say, listen, I know this fight is hard. I know it's grueling. I know it's frustrating. Sometimes you, you feel like you're taking some steps back. But, but why you need to hope is because the fight that is in you was put there by God. And, and my Bible says that, that who, he who started a good work in you will complete it. And so my hope actually isn't in the goodness of my fight. My hope is in the goodness of my God who called me and who will finish what he started in me. So, so like on those days when it's hard, and you want to beat yourself up and you think, I don't have any more strength to continue. Well, the strength that you had wasn't yours to begin with. And the one who produced a fight and a faith in us is faithful to continue to produce that fight in faith. In view of that, in view of that, he says, look, Timothy, I know it's frustrating. I know you're scared. God started this. He got you. Look at verse 13. He says, I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Christ Jesus, who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach unto the appearing of our Lord Jesus. 
So I love this. What Paul does, he's like, I want you to fight this faith, fight, fight in this fight of faith. And you need to know that, that God is the one who put the fight in you. And then your example is Jesus. Look to Jesus. Remember what he did. So, so you got to imagine that, you know, Jesus is on trial. He's standing before Pilate. In a worldly sense, Pilate is the one who has the authority to condemn him to torture and death. And Jesus, instead of taking an easy way out, he chose the route of sacrifice. He knew that his testimony before Pilate invited suffering and death into his life. He knew that that confession about the truth of who he was was going to cost him his life. You know what Paul is saying to Timothy? He says, I want you to to keep this confession of faith. And and the outworking of that confession is it actually invites some suffering and some hardship into your life. But you look to Jesus. Remember when he was on trial, he kept that confession. The example of Jesus is one of sacrifice. And it's one of a commitment to truth. Now, we live in an age that is, is, is fairly emotional, and that's fine. I'm emotional sometimes, but it doesn't like truth. It doesn't like, it doesn't like to talk about true stuff. We want to be guided by our emotions, and as I said in the beginning, sometimes the stuff that's in the world can affect the church. And so sometimes when you talk about doctrine, uh, people roll your eyes and they might be a little bored or something like that. But, but the idea is this, is Jesus didn't just sacrifice nebulously. He, he sacrificed for the sake of the truth. Remember the question. He says, says are, you, are you the son of God? Are you the king? Jesus said, you said so. You said that I'm the king. So he's not, it's not just this nebulous sacrifice that's just this emotional whim. It's a sacrifice built on this foundation of truth. So in this charge, he is saying, Timothy, you got to guard your life and you got to guard your doctrine. For, remember Jesus and his stand for the truth that caused him to die. Timothy, you got to fight for doctrinal purity. That might sound a little, I don't, know, I don't know if that excites you or not, but we've been talking about doctrine this whole time. That's the thing, that, like, like the, the truth of, of the word and, and the truth of the gospel, that is the only thing that will propel you to holy living. You know, the, 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 the type of doctrine that you believe is like the type of food that you eat. You need food to, to do different things, and we can... We can eat some, some junk food doctrine. We can eat some healthy stuff. We can get in this Bible. We can parse it out. We can think about it. We can meditate on it. We can let it get in us. So he's saying, listen, this, this doctrine thing, it's this thing about who Jesus is and what he has done and, and the nitty-gritty of how we should respond to him. That's, just, that, that's important. It's not just something you can throw away. It actually determines the, the quality and the scope of your obedience through how much you actually tangibly understand. Let me tell you something scary, man. Now, you know, we, we live in the South, and, and there are a lot of people who just say, yeah, I believe in Jesus. Now, I didn't, I didn't start asking folk. 
I, you know, we, uh, y'all walk around your neighborhood, I walk around my neighborhood too, you know what I'm saying? So, you know, dude, buddy, you know, rolling something up, praise Jesus, you know. And so I talked to him, I'm like, yo, man, what? You tell me what the gospel is. I ain't going to tell you. You tell me. Most of the time I get like, Jesus did something. I've, I've got what Jesus has told me. Uh, you know, if you give enough money, you get into heaven. That ain't it, homie. That ain't it. Or Jesus, I think if, if you do enough good stuff, then, then you kind of you, you kind of slide into heaven. I'm not making this. this people have told me this. Like people told me this. And, and what, what I can see is that, that the quality of the doctrine that they believe is having a direct effect on their response to God. If I think that, that the, the quality of my life is what gets me in to salvation, I'm going to be discouraged all the time or I'm going to be prideful. I'm going to think, oh, I can't reach it or I'm going to think I did. And be real happy about it and lie to myself. So the, the idea that, that doctrine is so important. And, and what, I, what I've noticed is that folks, folks uh, that I know, they, they, they worship, they say they worship Jesus, but it's like they worship this dude who's named Jesus, but it ain't the same one because we ain't talking about the same thing. <laughs> that dude who named Jesus ain't going to save you. The one from the Bible going to save you. So we got to be about doctrinal purity. And then he says, look, you got you to keep the commandment unstained and, and free from reproach. What he's saying is this. Now, you keep, your, keep your doctrine right. Make it clear. Speak it. But make sure your life doesn't make the gospel look like a lie. Right? You know, he says, like, I want you to speak the truth. Now, speak it because we can get on the other side and be like, well, we are about that true, we're about that true gospel. We're going to be all about doctrine. And then you look at the life and you're like, well, I'm not so sure. And he's saying, listen, it is incumbent upon you. This fight of faith in communicating the gospel has to be kind of verified, if you will, by your life. In scripture, another scripture talks about how your life actually adorns the gospel. It's, it's like I, I got this, this message, and is, 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 is it clean? Does it look nice? Does it, does it have some, some nice jewelry on, if it will? Or does it have some busted stuff? That's the, the work that we do as we communicate the gospel actually has a tangible effect on how the gospel is received. And so holy living is, is totally about worship to God, but it has missional implications. If we are going to tell others about Jesus, then our lives need to look like they have been affected by the Jesus we proclaim. I'm saying this is the fight. This is the fight. Now, one of the my favorite parts of this passage is, and it says, Basically, fighting the good fight, we fight it with the knowledge of God's glory. Like the, the bigness, the, the awesome, awesomeness, the, the beauty, the magnificence of God. Man, that gives us some motivation to fight. Let's look at verse 15. It says, which he will display at the proper time. He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the king of kings, lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see. To him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. Now, the thing about it is when, when Paul 
would write a letter, usually he wasn't actually the one writing it. He would dictate it to somebody. I don't know. Maybe he didn't like to write. I don't like to write. I'd love so I could dictate something to somebody else too. But all right, so he's, I, I could just imagine as Paul is communicating to Timothy, he has this part, he has this point of the letter when he's like, oh, God. And he remembers who he worships. He, he remembers the immortality, the, the eternality, the sovereignty of his God. He calls God the, the only sovereign, the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Ultimately, God is this creator king. There is nothing that exists that wasn't created by him. And one of the most beautiful things is that it, the Bible says that in this very moment, he is upholding everything. The, the fact that molecules stick together right now is because Jesus Christ himself is holding it together. And I think about the irony of those who would, who would try to come against God and they would raise their fists, but the only reason that their hand works in that moment is because God is giving them strength to do it. It's amazing the fact that God in his sovereignty, in his lordship, in his creatorness, he upholds everything in in this moment. He says that's the one we serve. Our being functions because of him. And then, then he, he, is, he is the only ruler. He rules over everything. I, I, I know this had to give some encouragement to Paul because he was in, a, in an empire that didn't really like the faith. So the one that was the ruler, the emperor, they weren't really on good terms. It wasn't who he would have voted for. But he has this memory. He has this memory. He says, "I look now, even though he's sitting there, there's somebody sitting on the throne that's above him. That's the one I serve. That's the one I love. That is the one who controls all things, even the things that I don't like. He is in control of all things so that all things would come together and that people would know his glory. He's above all things. He's the, the only sovereign, the king of kings, the, the Lord of lords. And it says he, he alone has immortality. A lot of times they, the way the Bible would describe that, they say he's the one who was, the one who is, and the one who is to come. Now, I remember one time I was in a geometry. I liked that class for some reason. I don't know why. But I was in geometry, and we learned something about line segments. You know, it's line, and you put like a point at each, and... And, and it says that the point shows you that the line ended. And they're like, but you don't have a point. The line just continues. It just for, it's, a, it's a forever line. And I, I was learning about Jesus at that time. And I was like, oh, man, he the forever line. You know, he don't got no, ain't no point on either side. He, he the forever line. And, and, and we, we think about eternity, future, but, but he is even in eternity past. Like, he always was. He always will be. Before anything was, he was there, and he will always be. That is the one who alone dwells in immortality. And then he goes on and says, he dwells in unapproachable light. And that's talking about his holiness. You can think about when, when Moses is, is, is walking around and he sees that burning bush. And he's like, oh, I can't, I can't quite look at that. It's so, like the, the, it's so bright. It's so that there's such a, a moral beauty to it that I can't even focus my eyes. It's like looking at the sun. 
I can't even quite look at it because it is, it is so powerful, so beautiful. I, my, I, I can't physically handle it. When, when, when we think about holiness, that's one of those words that I don't feel like we define enough. But holiness, it's almost like saying other. It's like we got categories for all things. But God, he other. Like we, 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 got, we can categorize our experiences and we can categorize personalities and, and we can kind of understand all these different things. But, but God and his glory, it's other. I, it's like, it's almost like, I, I, it's, you know, you, you're trying to explain something and you're like, it's like, you know, you're just, you're just struggling. Like, we, you just, just go see it. You know, <laughs> that's the idea. And, and here's the beautiful thing. It says that, that the angels, they, they stand around the throne and they just for eternity, go holy, holy. It's like the ones who have been standing there for ages and ages keep seeing the, this otherness of God. Like, I knew he was beautiful, but man, I knew he was righteous, but man, I knew he was good. I don't have the vocabulary. Holy. He's holy. He's holy. That's what he's like so that, that when I approach him, I, I don't, I'm like, I can't even quite look at you because your beauty is so magnificent and I don't have the vocabulary to describe it. And then when I see his moral perfection in, in, in comparison to me, I'm like, I, I don't even know if I can approach that because it's just so other than anything I have ever seen. Man, if, if the glory of God cannot motivate us to fight. Nothing can. Now, here's a beautiful thing, man. We, we sit on, on the other side of the cross, and the glory of God is most clearly seen in the cross. In John 12, 23, Jesus answered them, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. And the context is clear. He's talking about his crucifixion. That in his crucifixion, there is an element of God's glory that we could not see otherwise. God is glorified in his condescension on our behalf. You ever thought about the fact that, that the God who, who never got dirty got dirty in Jesus? The God who never had to wash his hands had to wash his hands. Like he came down and he dwelt among us, things that, that are everyday realities for us. Because he is the eternal one, he did not face, but because of his love for us, he came down and dwelt among us. The Son of God endured temptation. The one who was never tempted endured temptation on our behalf. He suffered rejection. The one who for eternity past had angels saying, holy, 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 had people saying, get away from me. You're a liar. He was tortured. He had his, his beard ripped out. His, his skin was torn. And ultimately, he hung on the cross. And you would say, how in the world does that reveal the glory of God? You know, it shows us something about God. It shows us that our God is humble. 
He is the awesome one whom we can't fully comprehend. And he is far above our thoughts and our imaginations. But he is not prideful. He actually lays down his privileges in pursuit of us. That's glorious. It shows us his love. God don't love from a distance. God don't got no arms distance love. There's some folks that we're afraid to truly love because we're afraid to get in their mess. But God looked at our mess and he looked at us and said, I love you. I'm going to get all up in your mess because I love you. We have a God that is truly holy. And in the cross, we see how he feels about sin. You know, we, we see the destructive nature of sin on the cross. And so on the cross, we can see the glory of God in Jesus. I'm thankful he didn't stay dead. The resurrection reveals his power. And so in the gospel, we see the glory of God, his love, his humility, his pursuit, and the only, the only fitting response is affection, obedience, and sacrifice from us. That's the only thing that would make sense. So this fight isn't, isn't just a, a, this fight for holiness, this, this fight for, for, for being missional, the, the fight to enter into uncomfortability for the sake of God is, is not motivated primarily or even a little bit by your guilt. It is motivated when I see the glorious God that we serve and when my eyes behold him. That's what gives me strength to carry on. Now, at my church, we do communion every week, and so do y'all. And communion, it's how we remember that good confession that Jesus had. That confession that cost him his life. That confession that, that caused him to, 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 to shed his own blood for us. We see his body broken in the, in the bread and his blood poured out in the juice. And communion is our commitment to keep that confession. The Bible says that as often as you take communion, you are declaring the Lord until he comes back. So communion is a, is a renewal of, of our remembrance of what he has done. And it's a renewal of our response to run hard after him. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you have given us this privilege to behold your glory. Lord, you didn't have to. You did not have to reveal yourself. You did not have to save us. You did not have to suffer on our behalf. But you wanted to reveal your glory and your love. And so, Lord, in light of that, in light of you revealing your glory in the midst of your suffering, let us not be afraid to embrace discomfort and suffering in our pursuit of you. Lord Jesus, give us strength to fight the good fight. 
Lord God, so that we could see you more clearly and so that our community could see you more clearly. Lord Jesus, we love you. Amen.